Welcome to the Lane Crawford Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal, and I'm a content creator, a producer. Mariah Carey is one of my spirit animals, and at the time of this recording, I am still head of content at Lane Crawford. And I'm going to be the one talking to people on this podcast about, well, stuff. Are you an artist, photographer, videographer, stylist, multimedia content creator, or a writer? Maybe you're all of the above or something else entirely. If you've got something to say, why not join the Makers Movement by applying now to Lane Crawford's Global Creative Callout at www.globalcreativecallout.com. Well, hey, fancy having you around here again at the Lane Crawford podcast for episode number two. On this episode, I'm having a chat with Jessica Fong, who is one of the founders of Common Farms, an organization that is innovating what indoor or urban farming is here in Hong Kong. Common Farms is arguably Hong Kong's top local source of specialty produce, meaning they grow and sell microgreens, edible flowers, seeds, grow kits, and more. You might find Common Farms produce in dishes at places like Neo-Parisian Bistro Boulogne, contemporary British restaurant Roganic, Jando's Italian Restaurant and Bar, Soho staple Holy Fook, and in the concoctions of Marcha Mavin's Marcha Lee, amongst others. So Common Farms began in 2017 when Jessica and her childhood friends Preston and Ariana came to the conclusion that the local food industry in Hong Kong was, you know, missing something. They felt that it was really hard to find exceptional and flavorful produce, unless of course it was, you know, super expensive or flown in from somewhere else from around the world. The Common Farms ethos springs from the belief that every single human being needs healthy, delicious food grown by someone they trust, which of course just does not happen in this day and age. I mean, when was the last time or the first time you knew the guy who gathered up your eggs or harvested those greens? So against all of their most logical instincts and their naysayers, they decided to sow some seeds to see what they could reap. Hi, Jess. Hey. Welcome to the Lane Crawford podcast. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, So let me start by introducing Jess and just letting you all know that I've known her for quite a long time. I was trying to think when. I remember we first met in Paris many years ago um, and then we met again quite randomly in Hong Kong when I first arrived. Mm -hmm. So if you can fill in uh, and let let anyone who's listening know how how you got to Paris um, and then how you kind of like who are you Jess? Uh, I'll try to keep it short. But we met in Paris because I was living in Paris. I was studying in Paris then. What were you studying at the time? I was doing a double in business and communications Mm -hmm. with intention. I was studying and working also in like fashion as Mm -hmm. well Um, because I was like, oh, you know, I need to deal with the business component. But I was intentionally in Paris and wanting to work towards fashion. And then it wasn't for me after I think a couple years of that and I kind of fell in love with architecture and then my dad pulled me back to Hong Kong and that's where I ended up back in Hong Kong but really it was in China but Paris was because I was in my rebellious years where my mom told me to go to Canada I'm like no because you told me to do that (laughs) Um, and then UK it was because the population of Hong Kong students were just 
immense and I just kind of felt like I was going to be a small fish in a big pond and I was like I didn't want to do that (laughs) same thing with Australia U.S. was the only place I was really going to go to but I was like I just kind of want to live in Paris um, because when we were younger my dad took us to Paris and it was my favorite European city and I was like I'll just live there and surprisingly enough my dad was like you know what I'm going to support you for that because you know I want you to gather more culture and so I was, I went there for a year, mm-hmm. um, well, intended for a year, turned out to be four years. Right. I never ended up in the U.S. Right. Um, and that was that. And Paris was, Paris is great. Paris is Paris. Yeah. And so when you moved back to Hong Kong, where did your path take mm-hmm. you to kind of, you know, just to set yeah. up the backdrop of how you started Common Well, I still don't know what I'm doing, right. but maybe I know I'm kind of in some kind of direction, but I still don't know what I don't know. Sure, sure. But when I came back, I think most people didn't know this, but it was be- it was with the intention to help my dad with his manufacturing business. So mm-hmm. I ended up in China a lot, and the business was about to be bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, I was I was so lost when I came back. Um, and I thought I was going to come in and help my dad and, you know, because you're young and you're dynamic and, you know, I, I learned so much. I graduated from college, so I'm going to come in. I know what I'm going to do when I really didn't know what I was doing or where I want to go. And, you know, there's a lot of resentment and frustration and anxiety, just everything combined. Um, and it was really hard to navigate through it, especially when your parents are you know, more traditional Chinese, but they did, to their credit, they gave me a lot of room to decide on what I want to do, and mm-hmm. it was for me to make the mistakes that I needed to make, um, but yeah, I think a lot of people thought, you know, I was coming back, I had, like, I had a bank account waiting for me to spend, and I really didn't have that, I came back, I didn't even realize how much of a financial trouble my family was in, mm-hmm. um, so it was through that you just have you build a lot of resilience through yes, it and yes. you know the only way to survive was trying to move through all the shit and you know dig through and strip it one by one and that's kind of where the past few years have been and so working with my dad re- made me realize that's not what I want to do and mm-hmm. that's not where I can bring the most value and that's not where my interest was at mm-hmm. but you know, I think the best way moving forward for my relationship with him was like remove myself. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of ended up in the restaurant business, um, which I think everyone... I mean, that d- did not surprise me. Even in the short time that I knew in in Paris, yeah. food was like a thing. Yeah. Right? yeah, I spent my allowance, you know, on food. I was spending my allowance on, you know, Michelin restaurants. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, 200 euros, like $2,000, $3,000 a meal. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, that's not really a college meal, <laughs> right? But that was what I thought was worth spending. spending um, mm-hmm. It was, it gave me that value proposition that I, was, yes. I thought was worth paying for, even though by the end of the month, I'm like, mom, <laughs> um, wire me more money. Um, anyway, so got into the restaurant business because I think, Everyone just fantasized opening a restaurant at mm-hmm. some point. Um, but it also took in a lot of things that I thought I enjoyed mm-hmm. or thought I liked, which was, you know, designing, which was, you know, the architecture part of it, 
um, or creating space mm -hmm. for people to behave in mm -hmm. um, and how that changes by, you know, just even putting a chair here, totally. you know, and then food was just something I loved because I just did a lot of discovery through food when I was in Europe. Um, and then it took on a lot of the project management skill set that I basically built from working with my dad because um, I was doing a lot of product development mm -hmm. and that's kind of you know, when you're managing manufacturing, that's kind of overlaps. So did that for a bit. Um, I learned a lot. It built a lot of humility that I didn't realize I didn't have. <laughs> um, and I still didn't know what I was doing. But I somehow always kept getting really lucky to be in a point of, like, management. But it was the wrong place for me to be at. Because right. I never, you know, from a being so fortunate with my parents or putting me in a place where I didn't really have to work a day when I was growing up until, you know, getting out of college and mm -hmm. realizing actually I do need to work because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we don't have that financial um, security. Mm -hmm. And so, so, but it was just like, I still didn't know what I was doing and I never was doing anything from the bottom up. Right. And I never, so that's why I never knew what work was. Right. And so I think a level of me was thirsty for that. Yeah. Um, it, so it was just like stripping down. Um, so after one and a half years of being in the F&B hospitality business, where I was coming up a place for management and kind of making decisions without any substance to back it up. And it was just kind of, you know, because I'm entitled in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then coming to the real honesty of like, you know, you don't know shit, Jess. Like, you need to just go back to basic. And it's like, can I afford to go back to basic? Can I like, can I deal with my own anxiety of, you know, my identity? Yes. You know, all of that stuff. Um, so that's so a t tough, big questions to be able to ask yourself and then yeah. to start stepping into that you know so tell me a little bit more about your journey from there and realizing okay maybe I need to try doing this sort of thing tell me about that bit so traveling helps a lot mm -hmm. um I was traveling a lot I you know I got actually got really lucky when I was working with my dad I started finding my own clients and I was able to you know, make my own money. Mm -hmm. And I basically spent all of it on traveling mm -hmm. the way I would want to travel. And yeah. so that was the first time that I was able to make decision on how I want to spend my money. Mm -hmm. And somehow I was traveling and, you know, you just get addicted to learning about other people's culture and seeing how they behave. And, you know, you take on things, you're like, oh, wow, you know. And when I say traveling, it, it's not going to resorts. It's also not backpacking. Um, so it was just what I wanted to do. It was mm -hmm. a level of discovery in a mm -hmm. very comfortable manner. Yes. Um, and I think that's quite important where it, traveling doesn't have to be a specific way. Yes. It just has to be what you would love to do and you would make you want to get back on the road and travel again. And so through f um, working in the F&B industry, I was traveling a lot to Europe for the farms and the discovery of flavors and textures that I never had from growing up in a metropolis city or multiple metropolis cities. Yes, I guess you're kind of, well, if I may, you're, maybe you're kind of like me where you're used to 
going to the supermarket mm-hmm. and everything is beautifully packaged and you'll never see the the dirt on the hands yeah. of the people who grew this right. and harvested this and chose it and mm-hmm. pa- packed it and washed it and cleaned it and whatnot yeah. for you. So tell me a bit more about like your discovery of that side of things. So I got also really fortunate to, you know, be able to go back to Italy every few months mm-hmm. and it, and then we just drive through and um you know going to the producers the farmers and the way they talk about what they do mm. is you know and also um my business partner at that time and also my boss really mm-hmm. um he kind of showed me like what passionate about something is looks like mm. um and what it means and to what extent and so I was like oh that's kind of interesting and then you know then he showed me the way so having like someone there to provide give you the permission to make mistakes and then creating the safe space to discover mm-hmm. it's immense yeah. and that was where I started I'm like oh my god tomatoes taste like this they're what you, you hear seasonality it's like what is seasonality when is seasonality so having all of these things and sort of the continuation past the grocery store, past the restaurant was beyond me at that point. It was like, it's, I was in so much awe. I was speechless and also identifying the people that, you know, I think I can work with farmers and I want to be like them. I want to be with them. Yeah. I want to learn from them for the rest of my life was kind of like, the starting spark of that and yeah. then I was like okay like how do I be that or what yeah. you know it was like in search for more and so when you're seeking then you start you start allowing yourself to ask those questions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and start you know to be curious in a specific way yeah and um then it was just doing a bunch of research so with my co-founders from Common Farms we were childhood friends since elementary mm-hmm. and um so Preston and Ariana, I haven't really been in touch with them for a while because we grew up in Hong Kong together, but I moved to Shanghai and Paris and, you know, they did their own thing in Egypt and Ethiopia. And then we somehow came back together in 2016 was like, you know, we kind of are curious about this. Um, but we had like all of us grew up in a city, so we yeah. had no idea what that curiosity means. But it's like, why don't we try and let it marinate? Let's do research. Let's see what we can gather. But we just got more and more questions and we're like, Oh, like nothing really had a solid answer to it. So the only way was like, you just had to to go in and do it yourself. Yeah. So, um, we try to put it together. Um, it's also not something we can go out there and get funding for because it's probably going to fail. And like, we had, we had no credibility to be an agriculture or growing plants like I never even grew a plant at that point that I can keep alive for like a month and and this is a true fact right right? so it's like who are you to like even consider like building a farm and selling food from it um so it was just like looking at my bank account what can I afford um, and where can we afford it? So initially it was like, the plan was to do it in China because it just feels like the market was more vast and mm-hmm. space and, you know, all the immediate things kind of jump in on what we would need, just kind of felt like the answers were all in China. So called on my dad. Um, I knew he had like an idle piece of land that he was initially going to build a factory on. 
And then he decided not to due to a lot of financial reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I called him and I was like, hey, dad, um, you know, you have this land. Do you think I can build a farm on it? <laughs> and then it, it was silence. And it's like, <laughs> you know, in a way, in Cantonese, it's kind of like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because right. in Chinese mentality, um, especially with, you know, the communistic approach, uh -huh. to think about farming and agriculture is like a really backward I see. thing to do. Sure, sure. So, you know, even talking to my grandparents or grandmother about it, she's like, you like know, it's why, labor, you're working yeah, in the field. Yeah, why are you even considering that? Mm -hmm. So I asked my dad, he's like, no, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh -huh. I was like, no, 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 like, I flew to Shanghai, I checked out this farm, things add up, like, the checklist that they had to make it work, I basically have all of it except for the space and land. Right. So what do you think about coming through with it? And he's like, no. <laughs> and like, just... <laughs> Straight up. Yeah, and he's no. like, he just didn't want to entertain it. And then... I was like, please just take two minutes, call the local government officials, see what the potentials are. He's like, okay, fine. I called him back. He didn't do it because mm -hmm. um, he thought I was joking. <laughs> like, no one took me seriously. But then until the government's like, yeah, you know, like, we're actually really into this because um, at that time, the the... China five-year plan had a lot to do with agriculture and technology mm -hmm. and environment and going green and it checklists all of that and so my dad calls me back a minute later hey they said yes so when are we building the farm and then I was like oh fuck I actually don't know how to build a farm and so that was when we started looking at the cost what mm -hmm. it needs and we're like I was so overwhelmed I was like actually I don't think I can do it on your place so we just started like stripping down on what we know and what yeah. we can have access to, what we can leverage on, and then all the way back to actually just come back to Hong Kong and right. rent a small space that you can actually afford and just try it out. Um, but throughout that process, I was just so eager and so impatient. So I just went and bought soil, bought seeds, bought a tray and started growing. And the first plant I grew was tomatoes. And when I saw that speck of green, that was done. That was like, this is my destiny at that Amazing. point. And it was like Christmas hall. Uh, it was like Christmas Day every morning when I was go waking up and going to the balcony to check out the the plan. And you know, and nature is just amazing yes. in its way. And yes. Um, so yeah, and then a few years now. So that was end of two thousand sixteen, beginning of two thousand seventeen, mm -hmm. when all I can afford was like a small retail space or yeah. it was like a tuck shop space on Chen Chao Island. Um, the reasons behind Chen Chao was um, Preston, my co-founder, who was going to be managing the plant mm -hmm. and the daily caretaking, he lives on Chen Chao. And so we thought he, where he is or where the space is, they mm -hmm. need to be really close by. Sure, yeah. So... Um, and there's also a story on how we found the space. We literally walk around the whole island one morning. We found two spaces because the realtors on the island and don't when you do say When you say space, do you mean land or like literal, no, like, literally, like a warehouse like, or, or an empty? Literally space that right. I, no one's going to kick me out of right, and, right. because I'm paying some kind of rent. Sure, right? sure. But I was ready to take like an I don't know anything, abandoned school, abandoned plot of land. I wasn't ready to take anything mm -hmm, mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. I call space. Mm -hmm. um, so when we went to these 
real estate agent offices, they, they laughed us out. They're like, no one actually comes to look at commercial space. Just go and ask, you know, the neighbors right. and stuff like that. And we're like, the fuck? we don't know anyone. Yeah. And they're talking about all the ownerships belong to like a lot of the locals. Sure. And Preston was more in the expat community of Cheng Chao. So he didn't mm-hmm. really have access to sure. that at that point. So we literally walked around. One of the guys was like, just walk around the city, look for the cardboard that's hanging out on the gate yeah. um, with a phone number and a last name. That's what, that's your best case scenario. So yeah. we only found two. One was already in the process of being rented. The second was the one we took. Right. Um, and that was the first. That was plot. where we plotted ourselves and we built everything from scratch because the intention was to look at what's the cheapest way to build a farm. <laughs> We like saw wood, but it was fun because I never had that experience when you're growing up in a city, everything is like, what is the easiest, fastest, most efficient way, cheapest way to do it? And everything we chose to do for common farms in the, um, the grassroots stage was everything against that. But there was a sense of accomplishment out of it. And, you know, we didn't like, I registered ourselves as like a company, but you know, like, I was so embarrassed to say, like, yeah, you know, I have a, I have a business. And <laughs> you know, like, still now it's kind of weird to say it. But, you know, until I start taking it seriously, no one else will. So, you know, when we got our... We didn't even know what we were going to grow at that point. Like, like, thinking back on it, we had no right to even consider, you know, getting into agriculture and thinking about it. Like, like honestly, like... We didn't even know where to buy seeds. We didn't even know what microgreens are, which is what we sell. We didn't yes. know what edible flowers were. Yeah. And it was just like YouTube, Google. And we, were, we, didn't, we didn't even want to pay for like, you know, courses. So the, we paid for one. I mean, yeah, but like that's what the beauty of the internet is now. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that's the, kind of the yeah. point. So what was the one that you did take? We did take one with um, um, like just an intro course by Rooftop Republic who are okay. who are people that we actually love working with now yes. and, and are trying to do a lot of different collaborations with together. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's funny because we signed up for one course, uh-huh. but we didn't want to, like, pay for all of us to go. <laughs> so they had three weekends. Uh-huh. Um, so it was, like, three uh, over well, three Saturdays. each. Yeah, so we took turns going. So it's like you are held accountable for taking whatever fucking notes, um, and you have to just share it. And that yes. was the only thing we paid for in terms of learning. We didn't. Everything was just literally YouTube and Google, yeah. and you know, amazing. we wouldn't pay. Amazing, for, amazing. And that was like somehow gave us enough courage to start it. Um, I mean, it's laughable thinking about it now. But no, it's it's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. This is what you can do with. A question and a desire to like take that question to the well, next level. I think right? one thing that I've come to realize is giving yourself the permission to ask those questions, mm-hmm. or having someone give you the permission for that, um, which is kind of how I approach it with my own team now. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about leadership, now it's beyond just me making decisions. Now I do make decisions, thinking of what are the consequences and what might be the rewards for the team beyond. Them just working for common farms is like what it's going to be post common farms for them as totally. well. So, totally. yeah, I think it's allow giving the space to like make 
quote unquote mistakes, yeah. but they're just really learning processes. I mean, you know, I asked Katie when you were um, uh, kind of walking around with Harry before I asked, so what's it like working with Jess? And she was like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You know, she's really busy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one they thing, don't stop. <laughs> yeah. But you know what, you know how you keep speaking about, you know, permission to make mistakes. One thing that she said, and you weren't in earshot, like you couldn't hear her or anything, but she was like, you know, we learn the most through making mistakes mm. because we have no baseline here. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any established processes or anything. So that's the mistakes are where we learn what better to do the most, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. You know? But to, to experience that yourself is very different from reading a quote mm -hmm. on Instagram yeah. or whatever about it, you know? So I think that you clearly imparted that yeah. on your team. <laughs> so I, very like, cool. I think it's very, it's, it's hard because we're not used to it in a right. lot of corporate structures mm -hmm. and even just in small companies. And I was just always rebellious on it. Even when I was working with my dad, I'll mm -hmm. just rebel for the sake of it sometimes. <laughs> but like, it was more like, but something feels like it's a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. Can I not try? And when I'm told no, I don't like that. Yeah. Um, and so I try to you know, offer the space for, yeah. for the team to kind of consider the other alternative. And, yeah. you know, one approach that I've been really honing in on is, you know, the, the first principle approach, which is basically stripping away all the noise and narratives and opinions um, and, you know, someone else's analogy of how something should be or the something that I really hate is because we always have done it this way and we used to do it this way. Um, so stripping away all of that and looking at what is the core of what we know and then that's the starting point. Um, and, you know, figuring out where we want to go. And, and it's been like a really simple equation that I've been trying to, you know, approach it in a personal life and business life. And it's a really hard transition to make from where a lot of us are used to. Mm -hmm. um, but I need to provide everyone, including myself, the yeah. permission to do that um, yeah. and just like try it out. Even for our customers, it's like, hey, you might hate this, but I don't know, just here, here's some, try it out. Yes. Like play around with it kind of thing. Totally. Um, so just to touch briefly upon what Common Farms does in terms of like, what do you provide? Like what do you yeah. grow? What, what are you growing right now? Well, so right now we've expanded. Um, we, we it started off as microgreens and then on our first harvest I was so proud of it you know started bringing it to central and to different chefs and you know knocking on their mm -hmm. doors and thought you know we'll get you know half of them wanting to order no one wanted to order it <laughs> and then then we went back and you know look at how we can approach it differently so now we do herbs edible flowers mm -hmm. microgreens um and now we started some root baby rooted vegetables like radish and mm -hmm. we're trying out turnip now but um we're growing produce in an urban space um we don't try and fixate on a specific system but we try and create the right environment for nature and the plants to thrive mm -hmm. um honestly growing indoors right now is not it's the best option we have in hong kong mm -hmm. but had we started somewhere else we would just evaluate what the and you would adapt. yeah and we would have we should adapt to what what is best for them mm -hmm. um but the approach is how do we how do we 
grow things for the best nutritional value mm -hmm. and for taste and yes. texture and how things should actually be tasting like because things are so bland these days when we get it from the shop or we have to add so much flavors so even my own palate has changed like I when I'm cooking at home I put like minimal salt right minimal sugar I, I actually am don't the even saltiest eat. person ever I, and it and it it was mostly from being here actually mm. and I think because coming from Australia yeah. where we, you know we're so lucky um to mm -hmm. have you know cows you know mm -hmm. down the street and then and a lot more farming space obviously yeah. when i moved m my palate changed too yeah so that's yeah. why like when when we go visit common farms here in aberdeen i'm like wow this is amazing this is yeah. like taste it's things that you've taken like you start recognizing and there's yes. like some kind of like nostalgia and like memories that comes yes. back and it hits a certain part of your tongue and you're like Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was what I got when I was traveling and right. going to different places and trying more um, maybe traditional crops and like in the most simplest form and it's just grabbing it from the ground yeah. and just trying it. Yeah. And with the least amount of processing as well. Yeah. Um, in Hong Kong, in a, in a city because of wastage and because of storage, because things are traveling really far. So our food a lot of times is over process yeah um and so we want to just simply produce things that can offer people another alternative option yeah um and so we're starting with like these kind of plants right now but hopefully one day we'll be able to expand it in a way where it kind of allows for everyone to have that access and we want to make growing your own produce very unintimidating as well and more yeah. accessible because when we started it was it's scary because like I don't know what the fuck to do and mm -hmm. like but what about this like it's it's like it gave recently it made me realize it's like learning French like nothing is absolute right there's always like an alternative and like it depends it's constantly <laughs> yeah. it depends you know and and that's with plants and you just have to observe and be patient with it. So I learned a lot of humility and patience and resilience from just observing our plants. And um, so we also want to make sure we can somehow create a playbook of what has been working for us. And mm -hmm. we want to just offer it as free as possible for to Amazing. give people the opportunity. So making it open source. So what we do is going to take a long time time to mm -hmm. get there and it's always constantly going to be a work in progress Amazing. and constant trial and error um but if we're thinking of it as building a company in the long terms i think that's the way to approach it and we always look at how do we bring more value to whoever we're in contact with so let it be our customer our suppliers our own team um anyone we're our interns um, anyone we're doing a workshop for, anyone we're inviting in, how can we bring more to them instead of asking them and then just giving them the space or empowering them to be inspired to think of different things to do. So you're awesome. Hope, hopefully, so good. Work. So know. good. It's it's a lot of work, but I think it's a start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so candid and so sharing and really inspirational. Like it's oh, like, it's, it's, it means a lot. It's when really, you say that Cause really, you've really seen cool. me grow through <laughs> yeah. the years. So hopefully, um, we can share your story a little bit and get thank people you. interested 
and what they themselves can do. This season, the Lane Crawford family is coming together and redefining luxury. Our way. We, the regeneration. Discover more in stores and online at www.lanecrawford.com. So that's it for the second ever episode of the Lane Crawford podcast. What did you guys think of that one? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I'm hoping that if you're still here listening to me right now, you somehow enjoyed it. So well done and thank you from the bottom of my stone cold heart for making it this far. So that's it from me, your host, Crystal. Hope to have you again next time. Bye.